The 2021 college football season is finally here. It's been an incredible preseason for CFB Winning Edge. We've broken records for downloads and listens of the CFB Winning Edge podcast and are recently surpassed a milestone of 100 Patreon supporters. Our Patreon supporters help keep this show ad-free and also help fund all the off-season improvements and updates, including our 2021 FBS team profiles, statistical projections, CFF rankings, and more. We could not do it without you. Thank you and have a great season. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, joined by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Normally, we have Xavier here, but Xavier has been traveling. Uh, we expected him to show up, but he is probably jet lagged right now. If you want to go on Twitter and give him crap for not showing up on time, at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E. I'm sure he will enjoy that. He may show up middle of the show. We're not 100% sure, but uh, we will see. But uh, Nick, uh, week zero is in the books, and we did get a question from our guy Blake on Twitter, and it was also directed more towards Xavier, but we can answer this question as well. Who's going to get fired first, Scott Frost or Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, and uh, that's that's uh, Blake Austin who put together our theme music. He's a longtime friend of mine uh, from our middle school and high school days, uh, and it's a good question. And I know he he was expecting Xavier to have fun with it, uh, but after watching Nebraska, and, and he he uh, sent this uh, in the final moments of Illinois' upset win over Nebraska. Uh, I'm I think I personally am, am leaning a little more towards Scott Frost and maybe it's just recency bias from, you know, from what I saw uh, on Saturday, but there was not very much to, uh, you know, fill me with hope that, that Scott Frost is going to have this job a whole lot longer. And I know you and Xavier have been uh, calling for, you know, saying he's on the hot seat, asking this question in, in various forms for a while now for both Frost and Harbaugh. And I've been much slower uh, to make any sort of declaration or, or anything like that. But, you know, we talked about some concerning uh, roster issues with Nebraska. They've had a lot of guys transfer out, a lot of those four-star uh, recruits over the last couple of years. It just happens to be a lot of those players are from uh, Florida and Georgia who are uh, transferring out without making much of an impact. We saw Wondell Robinson, who definitely made an impact uh, transfer back to his home state of Kentucky. And, you know, we've seen Adrian Martinez as the starter for the last few years will, you know, flash every once in a while, like he did on Saturday at a 75 yard touchdown run untouched, uh, but then just is not consistent, not take care of the football, um, you know, didn't look polished at all as a passer, has not progressed much uh, in, in, you know, that part of his game, I was forced to, uh, you know, finally uh, turn down his player rating. Uh, 
Uh, we've talked before that I, I really try not to do that, but our individual player ratings, when we wait for uh, talent, experience, and production, he's flashed enough that he, you know, coming into this game, we had him as a 96-rated player, uh, just all those factors combined. But I finally uh, went through and, and manually uh, downgraded his talent rating, and so now he's an 87-rated player, which – you know, probably I think fits. Some might even say that's still a little high, but um, he does enough to, you know, excite you and, and think that, okay, he's going to make a play to, to uh, on Saturday, you know, get Nebraska back in the game, but he just has not been good enough or, or consistent enough to, you know, perform at, at one of those uh, top 20 type quarterback levels like we had him rated before. But there's, there's you know, uh, at Nebraska – it just doesn't seem to be working, I think, is just the shortest uh, way to say it. I, I understand that Scott Frost, like Jim Harbaugh, is, is you know, a uh, homegrown guy, a, a legend in the program, and it made perfect sense when he got hired. I mean, it, it seemed like, wow, how how could Nebraska actually get him? The only way that they were going to be able to get him is because he's from there and went there and uh, and all of that, but it's just it's just not working. And we've seen Nebraska. We haven't seen Michigan. There's every chance that Western Michigan could, uh, you know, <laughs> come out and and surprise uh, the Wolverines. Could even knock them off. But I, I do expect it to be a fairly uh, close game. So we might, you know, I might be willing to say both after Saturday. But right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that Scott Frost, based on what we saw and just not having a whole lot of confidence that it's going to get much better, I think for right now, I'd, I'd have to say Frost. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm there with you. You know, I mean, everyone made the joke about the the Huskers are no longer being investigated for extra practice time and all that stuff <laughs> after getting smoked by Illinois. Um, but Well, and that's I a mean, whole other thing. I didn't even touch yeah. on that, but that's... I mean that in itself is. is I think that plus plus the poor performance that's going to sink Scott Frost. I mean I just don't know how it couldn't. You know, Uh, and and it's always a difficult. uh, This is why I was kind of nervous for Scott Frost going to Nebraska. You know, it's always uh, kind of. I don't know. You know, I feel like you have to give those guys that were stars for your program a longer leash when you hire them in these positions. And I don't think it's a good way to go about things. You know, if you're going to hire someone, um, you know, uh, that was at your program, hire someone that was not a star, you know, so Mm -hmm. you don't feel bad. And the whole fan base isn't going to be mad when you end up firing that guy, because most coaches end up getting fired, you know, not they, most of them don't stick around like, uh, you know, Bobby Bowden for a million years. So, um, you know, it's just the way it's the nature of the beast as a head coach, you know, uh, and I think Scott Frost is going to get the boot pretty quick here. You know, a couple more losses and it's going to be interim head coach, whoever for Nebraska. And uh, he's got a shorter lease than Jim Harbaugh, which I cannot believe I'm saying into a microphone right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was definitely one of the fallouts from week zero. But uh how did we look in week zero, Nick? How did the numbers look? Uh, so it was, you know, just just uh, four games between FBS teams. It was pr- 
pretty ho-hum, uh, two and two against the spread, two and two on totals. Uh, we did lose our only all three agree. We talked about it last week in the preview that uh, confidence wasn't exactly high on New Mexico State yeah. plus nine. Yeah, you were um, pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, said I, the, the phrase I'm nervous maybe 10 times. <laughs> right, right. And I, I you know, I, I always anytime we go through them and, and we've got a uh, pretty good, pretty good number of them this week, 12 all three agrees this week. And, and so there are always a few of them that I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't like that. Uh, it was the only one. So it, you know, kind of got a, a little uh, extra spotlight on it perhaps. Um, but there was a reason everybody in the world, it seemed like was on UTEP. And, and so we saw that UTEP was a much better team. Uh, I, I think that, you know, New Mexico state of course is, is among the very worst and uh, so they're, they're somebody to watch, you know, to, to just uh, understand how bad are they? Because, I, you know, the players on the field to, aren't nearly as bad as the cameraman. I'll say that's that. That's true. So. That was that Good. was a, a bit Great. of a struggle, especially on uh, some of the uh, UTEP play action uh, <laughs> deep shots. So, yeah, it was it was a little bit. And New Mexico State had plenty of uh, kind of Hail Mary type uh, throws as well, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's important to understand. I think the teams that are in the, you know, 127, 128, 129, 130, because especially, you know, we saw UConn and, and our numbers were really, really, uh, low on UConn. We had, had Fresno state favored by 37 and the line was 27 and a half. So, uh, Fresno state ended up covering our, uh, spread and and so you know we didn't have it quite tuned well enough for New Mexico State or we didn't have it quite tuned well enough for UTEP because we do still have UTEP in those you know 120s in our power ratings. Um, so fortunately, that's why we uh, you know take into account production. You know, guys like uh, you know Jacob Cowing who had a huge game for UTEP has already picked up a couple of production points. If, if they continue to play well, UTEP is going to rise because of team performance ratings, because of production points and, and things like that. But then also if a team like New Mexico State just goes out or UConn goes out and just gets absolutely blown out, uh, they're not going to pick up production points. They're going to have really, really low team performance ratings. So hopefully, even if things aren't quite tuned as, as well as they possibly could be right now, um, they'll continue to get better and our numbers have improved over the course of the season, each of the last three years. So I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, but you know, you always with such a small sample, one, you want to get off to a good start uh, to, you know, each game carries heavier, uh, uh, you know, weight just as far as how we remember it and, and things like that. So two and two or four and four was, was a little disappointing. Oh, and one, certainly I would rather be one and oh, but it's a long season. And uh, I, I think we've got a pretty good plan in place to, to make sure our numbers continue to improve as we go. And part of that is, I mean, the last few days diving into these dozens of depth charts. And so we're already working on, uh, you know, making sure we're, we're as good as we can possibly be as far as making sure, uh, you know, how our players are lined up or, or how, uh, they will be on the field. You know, our team profile should mirror those depth charts pretty closely. We do make some, um, you know, uh, when we know 
hey, this guy really shouldn't be uh, a co-starter, that sort of thing. We'll, we'll make our own little tweaks. Uh, but right now, I mean, those depth charts are coming out and a lot of, a lot of important information that we have to pay attention to, make sure uh, everybody is accounted for and make sure, uh, you know, if people have dropped off the roster, we, we deal with that as well. Yeah. What, what have, I guess have been the biggest surprises as you're doing the depth charts and, you know, I know that it's uh, a manic state that it has put you in for week one with all the initial depth charts uh, coming out. There's many, many teams that have, uh, you know, just have gone way different than um, in a couple spots. I know you mentioned before we uh, started recording, Texas State was kind of all over the place because they brought in like 40 transfers. So <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the more difficult ones to kind of uh, even put in pencil. So I guess what are some of the, the ones that have surprised you the most? Well, so there, there aren't a ton of just absolute surprises. Uh, we mentioned, uh, yeah, I, I just happened to be going through the Cal depth chart when we, uh, connected today. And I was a little surprised that, uh, Christopher Brooks, formerly Christopher Brown is not listed as the number one running back there. Damian Moore, who, who uh, you know, had a had a pretty good freshman year uh, last year in a very small sample, was listed at the at the top of the depth chart. That's one that you know I didn't quite give him the full you know outright number one job. I, I listed them as co starters. That's one where I decide you know eh, well I can trust the depth chart to a certain point, but going to have to kind of wait and see if Moore is really going to be the go to guy. But uh, a lot of people are really excited that Oregon as a true freshman. Uh, listed as a starter at wide receiver, uh, Troy Franklin, guy who's, who's you know super talented. That's a position that Oregon definitely uh, needed to you know needed to get more explosive. Uh, they have a lot of experience coming back. All three guys who are technically starters uh, are back, plus Devin Williams. Um, but you know. Franklin gives them a, a little bit of an added element and Dante Thornton is also in the, the two deep there. So Oregon, I think is, is looking to kind of get to the next level at the receiver position. Uh, so that was one that I took note. I was a little surprised. I didn't quite see uh, Taylor Powell winning the starting quarterback job at Troy over Gunnar Watson, who's a, an incumbent starter. And then I think the most noticeable things uh, were quarterback decisions. I mean, Purdue named uh, Jack Plummer as the starting quarterback there. That's something to, to you know pay attention to because they, of course, uh, throw the ball a lot. Aiden O'Connell won the job in the fall in 2020. Sounded like Austin Burton, a transfer from UCLA, was technically still in the mix uh, for that job. So, you know, it, it uh, th those are the, the, the bigger uh, ones that just sort of catch your eye. Florida State, you know, still has Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis listed as, as co-starters. That's one to watch. Uh, but but other than just sort of some quarterbacks and then, you know, I, I dig into the offensive line, the, the secondary, the defensive line, things like that, that most people maybe don't uh, spend a lot of time thinking about or, or talking about and understandably. Uh, but I just want to make sure like, Hey, did we miss a transfer? Did, uh, you know, is this guy back fully healthy? Stuff like that. So I'm, I'm digging into all those. So sometimes it's hard to, to see the forest for the trees, but, uh, quarterbacks have, have definitely been top of the list. Austin Kinzel starting at Louisiana tech, 
uh, Sean Chambers starting at Wyoming. You know, they technically have Logan Bonner and uh, Andrew Peasley as co-starters at Utah State, but just sort of working through all those all those things, making sure that at the most important position, uh, for sure, that that we've definitely got you know the guy who's going to be the uh, be the starter because that counts for the most in our our power ratings and our uh, projections. So let me ask you this: when we were flipping over to week one, like the official week one now. You know, uh, week zero is fun and everything, and it's a taste, but it's, you know, uh, it's it's just a taste. We get, I mean, there are, uh, how many games are on Thursday, by the way? There are a massive amount of games on Thursday. I was uh, going through the schedule. I was like, oh, my Lord, this is, you know, <laughs> I know it's before there's no preseason NFL and there's no regular season NFL, so why not, right? Uh, the only thing you're going up against is some baseball games, so it makes sense for there to be a lot, but um what line has you the most confused when you, uh, you know, scour the lines and you look at all of them? What is one that you just say, "Wow, that doesn't make any sense"? Yeah, this was this was a, an interesting question, and uh, the tailgate tent who uh, uh, posted this on Twitter, I, I kind of decided, "Hey, let's you know, let's let's dive into that a, a little bit," <laughs> um, uh, because it brought up two two came to mind. Uh, Appalachian State minus 10 versus East Carolina, because our projections are kind of all over the place. And everything that we're going to talk about today, all of our projections, we released these to our patrons last week. So we locked in uh, and and some pretty good, I think, uh, closing line value, or at least current line value uh, from, from when we posted them last week, last Tuesday, I believe it was, um, or Wednesday. But you know, we we do list our three different projections and, and kind of where our model sees it. Uh, I try to write up a little more detail as to, you know, hey, talent edge and, and prism. Remember, those don't have home field advantage. Remember, the prism doesn't really have, uh, you know, a whole lot of strength of schedule weight and, and things like that. So, yeah, it might spit out some numbers that are a lot closer than you might expect. Um, but you know, sometimes the three different models give us three just completely different uh, projections. And and when we posted this last week, Appalachian State was a 10 and a half point favorite. Our uh, stats only model, the Prism projected point sc- uh, scoring margin model, has it at about seven and a half App State. So that's in the in the realm, a, a little bit leaning toward East Carolina. Our talent edge projection, which uh, it's kind of the opposite. The prism is only stats. Talent edge is only talent numbers. East Carolina, player for player, from a raw talent standpoint, is much more talented than Appalachian State. Appalachian State has certainly uh, picked up a lot of production over that time, and and so they're much better than what their raw talent numbers would expect. And our roster strength numbers have, uh, you know, given them a little bit of a boost because of that. But we have East Carolina actually favored as far as talent edge goes by about two and a half points. So that is a little bit of a surprise. But then when you look at the team strength model, which is our official projection that incorporates both talent and stats and coaching stuff and, you know, everything we can roll together into one, and it has been our our best model. There's a reason why it's our official model. Uh, That has Appalachian State favored by over 21 points. And so... You know, uh, 
it, it, it's not that the line doesn't make sense. Ten and a half makes sense, I think. Uh, but our numbers in some instances are, are wide ranging from everywhere from East Carolina having a, a you know, outright talent edge to App State, we think officially uh, should be a three touchdown favorite. So that's that's one I'm going to be watching a little bit. That one doesn't make uh, you know a ton of sense to me. Has me a little bit confused on our end. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Uh, but then another one is uh, one where our number C maybe the biggest edge of the week is actually Marshall. Uh, minus three against Navy. And we talked a little bit in our uh, uh, AAC uh, preview or our three hour, whatever it was preview of the American <laughs> that I think, I think Navy might just actually be bad. And it's difficult to wrap my head around that because they always seem to play a little bit better especially better than the talent profile would suggest because they rely on two-star train, you know, two-star recruits and all that. But also they, you know, the, the performance on the field two out of the last three years just hasn't been, hasn't quite been there. And, and they lose some important guys. They lost a, a you know, starting linebacker uh, to transfer just a week or two ago. And, and so, you know, they could absolutely uh, surprise me and, and live up, uh, or, you know, surpass uh, our projections, but we expect Navy to, you know, be like a two and 10 type team. And for Marshall, who we think is uh, a conference USA title contender. And it's a weird situation because it's at Navy and it's Charles Huff's first game as a head coach, which that's a little tricky. You know, I, I, totally get why this is a, a a weird line or feels like a weird line but our numbers have Marshall anywhere from a touchdown to a double digit favorite in all three so you know maybe that one is too good to be true but I'm definitely a little you know a little confused I'm a little worried about it uh, but those two uh, you know are pop to, to my mind as ones that I definitely need to watch because of the way our numbers differ from one another in one instance, but then from the, the you know, odds makers in the other. So would you uh, be surprised to hear that public bets, 56% of public bets, this isn't money. This is just uh, amount of bets have come in on East Carolina plus 11 and a half. I'm not, I'm not surprised. And, and I, I, you know, hear numbers like that and see numbers like that. And I think there's a little bit of discussion uh, to be had, you know, what does that actually, I mean, you said it's, it's the bets, not the money. And, right. And so it's, it gets, it gets a little tricky in there. Sometimes I, I do understand the, you know, uh, fade the public. And so when there's so much, you know, public money on one side that it, makes a certain amount of sense to be on the other side. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, East Carolina brought everybody back. I mean, they have like 21 returning starters. Uh, they have done some good things on the offensive side of the ball. They, you know, should be able to run it. They certainly have shown that they can throw it. Uh, App State lost a lot. They've got Chase Bryce, it sounds like, is their starting quarterback who was responsible for, you know, what was it? Uh, 
18, 20 turnovers last year. I mean, yeah. so it's, it's, yeah, I think App State's going to be able to run the ball. Uh, East Carolina's defense was improved last year, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird game and it's, it's certainly uh, feasible that East Carolina could be in this game. I mean, we, you know, we think they have the more talented team. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. And the just looking at the same thing from Marshall, it, you know, the sixty-six percent coming in on Marshall. So now, see, that makes me a little. I mean, I I don't like <laughs> I don't look at those numbers uh, all that often. Um, I, I used to more. I've stopped. I've stopped doing it. But uh, the you know, I, I just concentrate on ours. But you tell me, hey, the public's way on Marshall, and it makes a lot of sense to me that they would be. But then you know, maybe somebody knows something that I don't. And, and so that, that does make me a little bit nervous. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, nervous. yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move into the week one preview. And, uh, you know, we, we each pick two games, even though Xavier's not here, we'll still look at the games that he picked, <laughs> of course. But, uh, uh, why don't you go ahead and dive in on the first one you selected. So Ohio state and Minnesota right now, um, the line is Ohio state, minus 14 the over under is 63 and a half so what do you think of ohio state at minnesota for week one yeah this one uh was one that did particularly interest me i, I picked it honestly uh mostly because we we needed a thursday game i felt like and and so this would be a good starting point for us but it's a it's a pretty interesting one because you know, Ohio State is is uh, up to number five in our power ratings. Uh, they absolutely have room to grow. You know, to become uh, a top three, top two type team, especially if the quarterback position uh, performs like we think that it it can. C.J. Stroud is is the you know QB one. He's going to be pushed by some really talented true freshman, I'm sure, over the course of the year. But I expect he'll play well enough to hold on to the job, and he's got the best receiving core in the country to work with. He's got a deep running back room. It, it sounds like, you know, uh, two, three, four guys might be in the mix there to get a lot of carries the offensive line. They've done some shuffling there, but it's as talented as it gets our number one offensive line in our uh, roster strength numbers. They've also got a, you know, number one ish uh, defensive line. I, I just updated the Clemson depth chart and I think Clemson might catch them, but I mean, they're right there. Number one, number two in defensive line talent. Uh, the linebacker core is young, but of course talented. I mean, they're, you know, no weaknesses. They're, they're absolutely the big 10 favorite, a national championship contender, but they're going on the road, you know, to a, a Minnesota team that uh, was, Okay, at times last year, a little disappointing. Um, should be, I think, improved. We talked about it in our, our Big 12 uh, preview that their offensive line was solid last year and then is adding uh, two former starters who did not play last season. Uh, the receiver position is the biggest question mark. Not only did they lose Rashad Bateman, but Chris Altman Bell's been banged up. So are they going to just you know feed Mo Ibrahim? Uh, which they tend to do. And, and so if they shorten the game and just really uh, try to run the football and, and run the clock, 
you could say, you know, you could see how Minnesota would be able to keep it a one possession game into the fourth quarter. And then let's see what happens. Uh, but I just don't know if Minnesota quite, you know, has the defense. Uh, they, they've certainly got experience. They, they bring a lot of guys back, but you know, I just don't know that they've got the talent to hang with Ohio state. I mean, their defensive line is 55th in our uh, roster ratings. Their linebacker core is 99th and their secondary is 47th. I mean, if you're talking about one of the top, uh, you know, rated units at every position group, basically that Ohio state has, and yeah, the quarterback, we haven't quite seen it yet, but they rank number one in average two, four, seven rating at the quarterback position. Ohio state does. So, they're going to have somebody who's who's going to perform quite well. They're number one at wide receiver and tight end in average two four seven. Uh, number four at running back. Number three on the offensive line. So I just don't think Minnesota is going to be able to to keep up with them. And and really the only shot is if Ohio State starts really slow. And and you could think on the road season opener new quarterback. You could start to talk yourself into that a little bit. Uh, but I honestly, I just, I just don't quite see it. So, uh, our numbers, you know, officially are, uh, on Ohio state. We think that they've got a big, big talent edge. I mean, 23 points almost. Uh, and then our official point spread projection is, is, uh, nearly 18 points. It's a lot closer than the stats model. Uh, but that's, you know, I, I, I think for now we're, we're not putting a whole lot of emphasis on, on that one. Uh, but we think that this is a game that Ohio State, uh, Ohio State should win somewhere in the area of 38-21. So they would cover uh, that 13.5 that we posted last week, but then the 14 uh, as you're listening uh, today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a difficult one for Minnesota to win. As you mentioned, just every pretty much every unit except for running back is going to go <laughs> towards uh, towards Ohio State. So I'm absolutely with you on that one. What about uh, Xavier picked this one, uh, UNC versus uh, Virginia Tech. And this is uh, UNC by five and a half over under 64. Uh, I mean, I think the thing that I like the most is the over under here because last year this game went over 100 points and over 1,000 total yards. And, um, you know, obviously it's not the same and it is week one and all that stuff, but, uh, lots of new guys at UNC, but a lot of highly touted guys as well. Ty Chandler transferring in. We're all excited to see Josh down. So, um, what do you think about this game, uh, on, this is on a Friday as well. Yeah, it's, it's a similar matchup in a lot of ways to the, uh, Ohio State Minnesota game. It's a very talented team, team with high expectations going on the road, you know, in a in a season opener. It's on a weekday which at the beginning of the year probably isn't uh, you know, as big a deal maybe is is not really throwing off your uh, routine because you're just establishing a routine in, in week one. So maybe that's not something to worry too much about. Uh, but, you know, North Carolina is is a lot of people, uh, a lot of, you know, analysts, a lot of analytic models think that North Carolina can be a top 15 type team, a top 10 type team in, in some instances. We've talked before that we are much lower. Our numbers are much lower on North Carolina than just about anybody else out there. I mean, they're still outside our top 25 in our power ratings. They are third 
in the ACC, and most people think that they're a solid number two in the ACC ahead of Miami, uh, but we're just a little bit lower. So it's not going to surprise too many people uh, when, you know, we see that we are, you know, expecting Virginia Tech to cover. And it's not that we're super high on Virginia Tech. I mean, they're in the 70s in talent ratings at the quarterback position, running back position. North Carolina has big edges in both of those. Uh, we think, you know, Sam Howell, of course, is a max rated uh, in our player ratings, 100 rated player. They have the number two quarterback unit in the country uh, behind Ole Miss. They are top 15 at the running back position. They're top, uh, they're actually sixth at the skill uh, positions. And that's with a really, really young wide receiver core. Guys like Josh Downs uh, have high expectations coming in. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you were talking about the offense. I mean, yeah, man, it, it makes sense that you would expect North Carolina to kind of keep it rolling. Uh, Virginia Tech, on the other hand, does have a more talented defense, and they certainly performed better uh, in, you know, well, actually, they, they didn't perform better in defensive team performance. They were very similar. These were two bad defenses last year. But on the, uh, you know, looking position by position, in our you know roster strength numbers, the linebacker position looks like a top ten unit on paper. The front seven looks like a top ten. Uh, excuse me, yeah, both the linebacker and the and the front seven look like top ten units. The back seven looks like a top twenty unit. The secondary ranks in the top thirty five. You know, North Carolina has a, a better, deeper secondary and a pretty you know what should be a pretty good linebacker core. But we expect that Virginia Tech is just a little more uh, you know throughout all, all three levels, just a little bit better from a roster standpoint. So, you know, will Virginia Tech, with that defense that underperformed last year, ranked 86 in uh, defensive team performance overall, 86 against the pass, 113 against the run, uh, you know, will they be able to take a big, big step forward and shut down some of these, you know, skill position players who are, either new like running back Ty Chandler or, you know, taking on a much bigger role like Josh Downs, they will have a home field advantage. You know, Virginia Tech, we expect Blacksburg to be rocking. Uh, it will be a little early, which I don't know if that matters uh, very much, but when I think Virginia Tech and, and, you know, Lane Stadium at its best, it's at night and this game is going to be, kind of early evening, so it might not be as uh, raucous, but, you know, first time that they're going to have a, a full stadium and, and things like that in a year. So maybe it will be. I don't know. But we just see, you know, because our numbers are a little lower on North Carolina than most, and, and maybe they're a touch higher on Virginia Tech. We have Virginia Tech ranked 39th. Um, we see it being a, a relatively close game. North Carolina has a big talent edge overall but because of the, the quarterback position carries a lot of weight in that. And they're about a 16-point favorite in talent edge. The stats-only model has it at about a field goal, uh, and so does our official model. We have North Carolina favored by 2.77 points officially, and you know that's within the five and a half. I completely understand, you know, kind of have a similar feeling, honestly, about this one as I did the UTEP New Mexico State game where <laughs> I, I understand why North Carolina, you know, should be expected to 
cover this on the road, uh, but I can talk myself into it a little bit more with Virginia Tech. So I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's not an all three agree, quite honestly, uh, because we do definitely take uh, close attention to those. But I'm fine with being on Virginia Tech plus the five and a half. Uh, we think that the final score or our, our official prediction is North Carolina 31, Virginia Tech 28. So that would be under. Uh, uh, different from from maybe your your initial thought with the high scoring that we saw last year, um, which again could understand how it, you know that that would happen again. Uh, but I, I feel okay that we're on Virginia Tech plus five and a half. But I'm I'm really really going to be watching because I want to see North Carolina. I want to see uh, if if there's something that we need to adjust in our numbers based on what we're seeing, and maybe it's those running backs, uh, you know playing well early. Maybe it's, it's the receivers stepping up and looking great. Um, but that's when I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching because if North Carolina comes out and looks great, you know, those team performance numbers are going to have to pull them up uh, to get us a little closer to the rest of the pack as far as, uh, you know, how we, we project them in a power rating standpoint. Now uh, here's one that I picked, obviously uh, at Louisiana at my Texas Longhorns. And this one, you know, look, Louisiana upset Iowa State on the road last year and beat down Iowa State, who was a very, very good team last year. And uh, so they cannot be overlooked. And that's kind of why this number is uh, low. Texas is only favored by eight. The over under is 58. What do you think about that one, Nick? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you picked this one. And it's it's partly because it gives me an excuse to talk a little bit about something else, <laughs> which I sometimes uh, <laughs> do. And, and it's that the prism model. Uh, and, you know, when I built it last year, it's very basic. It's, it's, you know, past uh, history, the last five years um, of the team, the head coach and the play caller on both sides of the ball. And it looks at, at, you know, scoring offense, scoring defense and, and some team performance numbers. And, that's, you know, that's pretty much it. And, and so it's not super sophisticated, haven't, you know, thrown in a lot of weight uh, for strength of schedule and, and things like that, uh, you know, conference weights and, and, and whatnot. And part of the reason I kept it uh, so basic, I really didn't touch it very much. Talent Edge got a, a little bit of an overhaul last year. Uh, but the, the stats model, even though it spits out some weird numbers early on, and especially Power Five versus Group of Five non-conference games. Uh, part of the reason I didn't touch it is because last year it had Louisiana to beat Iowa State. It also had Arkansas State to beat Kansas State, and it had uh, Coastal Carolina to beat Kansas. And, and believe it or not, <laughs> this time last year, Kansas was about a what a touchdown favorite over over Coastal Carolina. Yeah, and our numbers, you know, for for our official model, I remember being pretty confident in Kansas to cover because we were so low on Coastal Carolina. But the stats model actually had Coastal Carolina uh, winning outright. So because it it just had some weird little upsets like that, and I'm not expecting that to you know happen every time or, or maybe even at the rate it did last year. Last year was a really, really small sample of games like this. Uh, but, you know, it, it could... Uh, it could be pointing to something that maybe the other models are missing a little bit. And so that, you know, 
for that reason. I didn't touch it very much. And this is a similar similar game. Texas is favored in that uh, prism model, uh, but it's by less than a quarter of a point. So it's basically a toss-up. So I absolutely understand why, you know, when this line was posted in the summer, it was Texas by, what, 16, something like that? And when we officially uh, put it, you know, to our patrons last week, it was Texas minus nine. So that had dropped a ton, and now it's eight. Uh, And usually, you know, when, when things are moving that far away, it it uh, makes you think. Okay, obviously, you know Louisiana, either the public or the money, or, or you know smart people, sharp people are are betting plus uh, you know on on the side of Louisiana. Understandably so, they are a double digit winning capable team. They bring back a ton, just about everybody, but their uh, top two running backs, who are, of course, very good. But Chris Smith is going to step in, I think, and do a really great job. He's been super explosive as a kick returner, and and they've recruited well at that position. Uh, Everybody back from a defense that ranked number one in our defensive passing team performance numbers, ranked top 30 nationally. Uh, They're a solid team. They ranked 20th in overall team performance last season. We expect a lot out of them. They're top 30 nationally. Uh, we, we definitely expect that they'll be a contender in the Sun Belt. But Texas, and you know, say this every year, but Texas is so much better on paper. And you know, I could see Louisiana trying to, to you know play good defense, play slow, run the football. Levi Lewis, I think, is an exciting quarterback, can run, uh, has improved as a passer, I think, over the last couple of years. But he can do some interesting things and, and give Texas some trouble. But I'm, I'm pretty bought in on Steve Sarkeesian offensively. And we put together just some incredible offenses at Alabama. And I know, you know, he doesn't have three NFL starting quarterbacks uh, right now at Texas, probably <laughs> like he did at Alabama the last three years. Uh, but I think that, you know, he's got one of the most exciting playmakers in the country in Bijan Robinson. Uh, he's got a quarterback that I think they, they feel pretty good about in Hudson card. Casey Thompson will play. It sounds like, and, and he did of course, some really good things in the bowl game, but they're deep at the running back position. They bring back uh, a lot of, you know, Receiver depth, Jordan Whittington finally is healthy. Uh, Xavier Worthy. You better knock on wood. Well, so far. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Xavier Worthy is, is a guy that came in in the summer as a true freshman, has already won a starting job, is, is maybe got the most buzz of any true freshman uh, at any position that I can think of off the top of my head. So, you know, there, there's reasons to be excited. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski ranks number four in our defensive coordinator ratings. He's been a great play caller in the past at Washington and Boise State. And, you know, they're they're just so much better from a talent standpoint, even with the quarterback position being a little bit of a question mark. Somewhat similarly to Ohio State, but but at, you know, a, a larger scale because, you know, the average player rating – from 247 Sports at the quarterback position for Texas is 19. So good, talented, uh, but not Ohio State where they're, you know, number one, number two, something like that. And then at the quarterback position, 
how we weighed it for experience and production, where Ohio State fell a little bit uh, into, what, the 30s, I think it was. Uh, yeah, they are number one in average 247 rating, 48th at the quarterback position in our in our roster strength ratings. Texas is 60th. So, you know, a, a little bit lower, a little more uh, question just because it's not a high four-star and two five-stars. It's, you know, one really high four-star and a couple of, uh, you know, a, a four-star, maybe a three-star. I don't know exactly what Charles Wright was. 85, I guess, is a is a three-star rating. So, you know, not quite uh, maybe the, the excitement there, but plenty of room to grow. Hudson Card, I think, could jump out, have a, an excellent, uh, you know, first game. And, uh, you know, I think that Texas, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being very vague, I guess, on how they get there as far as, you know, matchups and things like that because Louisiana was so good last year. But I just think, I just think Texas is better. And I know that they've got to replace some talented guys on defense like Joseph Osai and Taquan Graham, Caden Stearns, guys who got drafted last season. But, you know, I, I think that they've got enough. And I think Kwiatkowski is going to be able to, uh, you know, put guys in a position to be successful, to be able to rush the quarterback. They really invested in the transfer portal, finding edge rush uh, guys like Ovia Gufo, Ray Thornton, Ben Davis. Uh, I really like DeMarvin Overshone, a really athletic linebacker, former safety. Um, you know, they've got uh, veteran corners. They've got talented safeties. I just, man, I, 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 it sounds maybe too simple just to think or just to say Texas is so much more talented. What has Texas, you know, done recently? With uh, the we always, right. We always, oh, they're always so overrated. You know, every everybody – says those type of things and I, I get it, but I was, I was really kind of pleased when we actually, when I sat down to, to hit send on the Patreon post, I was pleased that that number had crept just barely to Texas, like minus 9.01 or something. So we were officially on Texas by 0.01. <laughs> I, that's where I want to be. I want to be on Texas in this game. Yeah. And now you know, the roster updates, things that we've done uh, with the depth charts and, and things like that. Now it's closer to Texas uh, 11 by 11. It's like 10.65 right now. So I'm, I'm feeling better and better about it. And usually when you say, oh, this number is, is going so hard in one direction, you know, I don't really want to be against it. Well, eventually it's probably going to fall enough to where, uh, you you might feel better being on the other side, and and I I'm glad we're on Texas. We're only on minus nine. I would love minus eight, but we have we have a final score of of thirty seven twenty seven Texas getting the win, and absolutely Louisiana could could pull it off. But uh, I, I I like personally I like Texas in this one. I'm glad we're on that side of it. I think the best thing for Texas is uh, Louisiana beating Iowa State last year. So you can't, you know, look past this team. You can't overlook them at all. So I think that's actually a good thing that plays in Texas's favor. Uh, moving on here, my second one, and this is kind of, to me, this is the game, you know, you asked the question earlier, I posed it to you is, uh, you know, which one, which line had you the most confused? And this is kind of the line, and I, you know, I know my guy Chad is listening. He's a good friend of mine. 
big U of A guy, went to U of A. I don't mean to be insulting to him or to any U of A people, but why is BYU only favored by 12 and a half over Arizona? And it's at a neutral site. Uh, it's in Vegas, but it's BYU by 12 and a half. The over under is 54 only. And I know BYU lost Zach Wilson. They lost some big pieces of this offense uh, in the offseason, but we're talking about a U of A team that lost 70 to seven uh, to ASU in, in their last game. And uh, they, they should be very improved, but improved enough to only lose by, you know, less than two touchdowns to a very talented BYU team still, even with a new quarterback and a lot of new guys starting on this team, I just thought was a little bit surprising. So what do you think about this, uh, BYU versus U of A game, Nick? Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this game. I'm, I'm glad that we're going to get to see it in a, late window when that doesn't have as much competition with the dozens of other games on, on Saturday should, should be able to, you know, put it in a pretty prime spot to, to pay relatively close attention to it. I want to know what Arizona looks like. I mean, I, I've seen some pretty positive signs uh, from the early months of the Jedfish era there. I mean, they've brought in some talented transfers, who's going to make an immediate impact. Gunnar Cruz, it sounds like, is going to maybe start at quarterback, but it's going to rotate, or at least, you know, Will Plummer will play a little bit. Drake Anderson, is he going to be the top running back? I haven't seen an Arizona uh, depth chart yet. I don't know if I've, I've missed it or maybe it's coming later, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, is it going to be Michael Wiley who flashed at times, or is it going to be Drake Anderson who actually did some good things at Northwestern uh, and they have a freshman they're pretty excited about and Stevie Rocker. He's one of the freshmen that I've heard uh, some positive things about, you know, through spring and summer. What are they going to look like offensively? What are they going to look like, you know, defensively? You mentioned they gave up 70 the last time uh, that they took the field and they have all you know, seven starters in the front seven back, but that's a unit that ranks 101st nationally in our roster strength numbers and 12th in the Pac-12. They brought in, you know, more than a half dozen uh, transfers into that unit, uh, into those those first two levels of the defense. So are those guys going to break in, kick starters, you know, previous starters out of their jobs? Uh, but then more, my, my big concern, Don Brown is a, uh, respected defensive coordinators have a lot of success. He actually ranks 12th in our defensive coordinator ratings. That might be the, the single big, uh, biggest uh, positive point. It's by far the highest rating in any category that I can, I can see right now. I mean, the next closest uh, on our, our team profiles is uh, what 62nd in defensive returning production. And then everything else is like 82nd in passing defensive team performance, 99th in defensive roster strength. I mean, it's it's a lot of uh, pretty rough numbers, but Don Brown, you know, is, has had some good defenses, and they were trending in the wrong direction at Michigan. Obviously, it's why he was available uh, for Arizona to hire. But then also, you know, the, the question, uh, the biggest from a, a personnel issue, biggest question I've got is the cornerback position at Arizona. Christian Roland Wallace is is solid, I think. Isaiah Rutherford, they brought in as a, a transfer from Notre Dame, pretty quickly established himself as the co-starter there from what I've heard. Uh, but they are very thin at that position, and Don Brown likes to, likes to blitz and play man. Are they going to get 
absolutely burned by BYU, uh, who has a new quarterback. I mean, if they were playing Zach Wilson's BYU, yeah, I mean, this this game could be really, really ugly. But Wilson's gone. Jaron Hall is going to start. Um, that, I think, is is uh, going to be, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to definitely keep an eye on that. It sounded like it was a, a pretty – uh, strong competition between Hall and Baylor Romney and Jacob uh, Conover for that job, but a lot of people thought that it was Hall's job to lose. He apparently, you know, pushed uh, Zach Wilson when he was healthy a couple of years ago. But um, you know, BYU, I think, has the receivers that can really test Arizona's secondary. If the offensive line gives Hall enough time to work, if he's comfortable enough to you know, wait for guys to get open or, or you know, deliver uh, timing passes and, and, and things like that is, is in the, the uh, flow of the game quickly as a new starter, then I think BYU could absolutely put up a big number. Uh, Gunnar Romney, when he's healthy, did great things last year. I was more impressed with him earlier uh, in the season than I was with Dax Milne later on, Milne who just – made the 53-man roster at Washington, was a seventh-round draft pick. I thought early in the season Romney was was better. Uh, they added Puka Nakua and Samson Nakua, transfer from Washington and Utah respectively. Puka Nakua has been a little bit banged up, but he is listed as a starter. You know, if, if he's – I thought he was the most talented receiver Washington has had the last couple of years. So want to see him at full strength? I think that he could absolutely give Arizona some problems. And then Tyler Algier and Lapini Katoa, Strong one-two running back punch. So I, I think that BYU is is set up really well uh, offensively. And I don't know if Arizona quite has everything figured out itself on offense to test what could be a uh, you know rebuilding defensive unit for BYU. I, I don't think we're going to see the you know explosive, incredible offense that we saw last year from BYU with Zach Wilson. But I think the drop-off has the potential to be less on the offensive side of the ball than it will be potentially on defense, if, if that makes sense. Because yeah. they're going to have to replace, you know, Kyrus uh, Tonga, Chris Wilcox. Uh, I mean, they're, they're defensive starters. Uh, it's what? One, two, three, four, five. Five guys are in NFL camps uh, and one other uh, you know, that they lost as well. So that defensively, they lost a ton. And then they're not quite, you know, as talented as, as uh, you might hope on the back end. But, you know, I just don't know if Arizona is going to be able to test them. And I think the BYU offense is set up pretty well. So our, our number is, is uh, quite a bit different than, than the odds makers. Uh, we projected it. The, when we projected it last week, the line was 11 and a half. It's, of course, now you mentioned moved to 12 and a half. We have it closer to 24. So we have BYU and a lot of last year's team performance rating, you know, might be inflating that just a little bit, but it's not inflating at 12 full points. So we right. see this is, you know, I feel pretty confident in BYU, you know, should, unless Arizona just gets a huge bump from just being a completely different uh, team. And that's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not, right? it's not. And BYU is very different. So, you know, they could have the opposite, uh, you know, the inverse reaction there. 
But I think from just the way our numbers stack up from a roster perspective and, and sort of even if you if you crunch the uh, team performance numbers, which for, were among the very best in the country for BYU last year and among the very worst for Arizona, if you bring them back to where we expect, okay, let's, let's bring them back into uh, Arizona's probably not quite as bad, BYU's probably not quite as good, I still see BYU uh, maybe should be favored by two touchdowns. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I I expect Arizona to get better. I just don't know if we can expect them to get better game one of the season after such a disappointing year last year. So uh, I expect a lot of good things out of U of A this year, just not maybe in uh, week one. Uh, I'm excited to watch them. I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's always fun to see a team improve, and they're going to. I mean, they, they, you know, I feel like last year was kind of a bottom out for U of A. So uh, this year they are going to be better. Just say that's a tough draw week one. Uh, your second game here is on Sunday, actually. Once again, no NFL games. So uh, we got a Sunday and a Monday game to go over here. But uh, you have Notre Dame at Florida State. Uh, the line right now is Notre Dame minus seven and a half. Oh, uh, the over under is 56. So what do we think about uh, the Irish at the Seminoles? Yeah, this is another one that the line has moved quite a bit from when it was initially posted. It was closer to uh, Notre Dame by what two touchdowns, right? For, for the early part of the summer. I'll have to, to pull up exactly so I can see the, the open, but uh, or nine and a half, but I, th- I thought I saw it at double digits at some point. So anyway, it's, it's come down to seven and a half now. Uh, but this one caught my eye, not only because it's the only game of the day on, on Sunday. And if anybody out there is looking to make it a little more interesting, I figured we, you know, could, could give our uh, thoughts on it as the only game of the day. It's, it's understandable for, Notre Dame to have modest expectations relative to where they were last year or the last few years as a legit playoff contender, player, you know, playoff participant. They lost the book. They lost four starters on the offensive line. Uh, you know, they lost playmakers at the receiver position, Varys Gronick, Javon McKinley, those guys stepped up and, and had pretty good senior years and, and then went on and, and uh, you know, have a pro future. Uh, so, the only thing that's that's really left from a pure, you know, we've seen it before and, and we can trust it uh, on, on the Notre Dame uh, offensive side of the ball is running back Kyron Williams, who was really, you know, excellent last year. Kind of came out of nowhere to become one of the better running backs in, in college football. And they've got some depth at that position in Chris Tyree and, and uh, Sebo Flymster. But, you know, the receiver position, We've been waiting on Kevin Austin to break out for a while. Uh, Avery Davis has done some good things here and there, but, you know, it's not quite been consistent. Braden Lindsay's a little banged up. What are the true freshmen going to look like? Seen some good things or heard some good things about Lorenzo Styles. Uh, even, you know, Deion Colsey maybe might be a, a year away, but a, a guy who's got – I saw him, you know, compared to, to uh, Chase Claypool, uh, the other day, and and you know maybe it's just too easy to do that because he's a six four, almost two hundred pound guy who went to Notre Dame. But hey, you know he's a, he's a guy who comes in comes in with a ninety five rating coming out of high school. And then Michael Meyer is is I guess I should have uh, amend my original statement. Uh, in addition to Kyron Williams, 
Michael Meyer proved that he's one of the best tight ends in the country, and, and he's going to give new starting quarterback Jack Cohn uh, a pretty good option there. But, you know, the Notre Dame offense has a lot of new pieces, and we expect it to, uh, you know, maybe take a step back a little bit. They ranked 16th last year in offensive team performance, top 10 rushing with the new offensive line. Are they going to be able to repeat that, you know, from a running game standpoint, even if they lean pretty heavily into it? You know, I'm, I'm not so sure. And, and the passing game with a new quarterback, Jack Cohn is is fine. Uh, I think he might actually end up being a little bit better than, than some people uh, think. He did come in and beat two pretty good, uh, you know, freshman and retro freshman quarterbacks uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but he's not likely going to put up huge numbers, not super flashy. Uh, but, you know, I, I think they'll be fine, but the offense probably will take a step back a little bit. Defensively, they lost some really talented players as well, but I think enough returns that this is going to be a, a pretty solid defense. They rank top 20 in team performance overall and top 20 against the run. You know, maybe they fall back into a top 30 type range, but Kyle Hamilton's one of the best players in college football, assuming he's fully healthy. I know he was, uh, you know, maybe limited a little early in fall camp. Hopefully he's he's back and ready to go. Uh, but Myron uh, Tonga Viola Amosa had, you know, all ACC um, uh, recognition last season, and, and they've recruited pretty well. They're, they're a talented group, top 20 in those average 247 ratings at every defensive level. Uh, and all but the the secondary is actually top 15. So, you know, they're, they're a solid team. They've built a program that is going to be a consistent winner, and Florida State has not. I mean, they, uh, for a long time, were very, very good, of course, but last, you know, the last decade, or, you know, I guess they won a national title this decade, but uh, the last, uh, you know, five, six years, things have totally been trending in the wrong direction, haven't quite been able to, you know, stop the bleeding in, in a lot of ways. Last year, three and six overall, pretty rough, but optimism is, is uh, you know, is high, I guess. Uh, people are excited about Mackenzie Milton. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch him play for sure, uh, but it doesn't necessarily sound like he's going to be the guy at quarterback. I think Jordan Travis might actually take the first snap. Um, hopefully we do see Milton. I think both guys, you know, have, have reason or, or ability to, uh, you know, test Notre Dame's defense. I like a couple of the, uh, running back options to Sean Corbin's the starter. I'm a little more excited about Lawrence, uh, Tofili was, you know, just really explosive last year. They also brought in DJ Williams. They've got some talent, uh, you know, an influx of talent at the receiver position. They brought in Andrew parchment as a transfer from Kansas, which, you know, he was pretty good in, in uh, 2019. And then Malik McLean's, uh, you know, another guy who's gotten a lot of buzz as a true freshman. The offensive line did take a step forward last year. They were 60th in our team performance numbers on, on uh, the offensive line specifically. And then they really hit the transfer portal hard. The front four is going to look really, really different. Uh, two guys transferring in are, are going to start at the defensive end positions and a third one is going to probably be uh you know first off the bench there so that that is going to be much much different and they needed it because they ranked 102nd in our uh, defensive line performance numbers last year but uh, going through the depth chart the secondary is looking a lot different than what i originally 
projected. The linebacker core looks a lot different. They're trying to find the right mix, but diff, you know, kind of the the similar to what Notre Dame is doing, having to replace you know some players, a lot of new faces in new places. But Florida State's just trying to get it figured out the first time, if that makes sense. Notre Dame, you know, yeah, they've got a system in place. They lost some guys but I think they've earned a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that they can replace those guys uh, with players who were, um, you know, backups last year, young guys, and, and the odd transfer here or there, it was kind of handpicked. Florida State, you know, they actually return quite a lot on offense. I mean, they ranked 45th uh, on offensive re- returning production. Might not sound super high, but that's 80%, basically. And they then they added to it defensively, you know, they, they brought back a, a decent amount of starters, but they are replacing some guys who were drafted. They were replacing, uh, you know, just some, some guys who haven't quite been able to hold on to starting positions. And then it seems like they really are going to be uh, leaning on transfers on, on that side of the ball. So I think, one, Florida State hasn't quite earned the benefit of the doubt for me that Notre Dame has and kind of the guys that they are after to replace what they lost in a similar way, I don't know that I trust as much as I do Notre Dame. I, I don't know if that makes a, a, a whole lot of sense, but uh, me personally, I, I think Notre Dame should probably be a double-digit favorite here. Our numbers, you know, our, our official projection agrees with that, actually, as Notre Dame – at about two touchdowns. The other two models are technically on Florida State, uh, but it's very close. It's it's like six points plus on both the talent edge. Uh, Notre Dame has a, like a six and a half point talent edge, six and a half point uh, edge in the in the stats only model. But I, I think that those, you know, I, I I think that's close enough that this is this is is almost in that all three agree category and I would feel decent about it. So uh, I think that, that, you know, Notre Dame seven and a half is, is not a number that you always love. That's when we posted it. It's now down to seven like that a little bit better. Uh, But I mean, we have Notre Dame, you know, winning this game by a final score of 36 to 21. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, I want Florida State to get back there, but this is kind of like the the U of A thing. I want U of A to get back there, but week one against a tough opponent, you just can't put a lot of stock into them. So uh, I'm I'm right there with you. The last game that Xavier picked is the Monday game, and it's Louisville against Ole Miss. Ole Miss uh, is favored by 10 right now. The over-under is 76, so a big old over-under on this game. What do we think about this uh SEC ACC matchup name. Another one that I get to kind of use it as a, a, a tangent a little bit. <laughs> our our stats only model, the Prism model, has uh, not only been been helpful, just sort of as some added context to games, but it's what we use for totals. And, and last year, our numbers were really solid on on totals. And so, similarly, it's not a super sophisticated model. And because of that, we know that it has some, uh, you know, some weak spots. Last year we were 53.3% on totals and, and uh, you know, 
it, it, uh, it performed well enough that we didn't want to mess with it too much, but we know the tails are not great. We know that anything 65 and over, we're going to be under. We know anything like 48 and lower, we're going to be over. And we know that that's, you know, not uh, positive EV, but I, I, I felt like we were good enough in the middle that I didn't want to mess with it too much, but that's something in the future we'll, we'll get a little bit better on. But we're definitely going to be on the under it is sort of long story there because this, this uh, you know, the total here is what you said, 76. We yeah. have it closer to uh, 68. And that's a, that's a pretty big, you know, pretty big drop there. But we don't necessarily consider that a huge edge because we know that 68 basically is is almost maxing out uh, what our our total projection would be. So it makes sense that this would be a very high total. Ole Miss is is going to be one of the most fun, explosive, exciting offenses to watch in the country. I think. I mean, last year they were 12th in offensive team performance, seventh in passing team performance. I think they have the ability to be even better. Matt Corral is, uh, you know, a max rated quarterback, had a huge season last year. He's got a ton of weapons. We have to, to figure out who's going to be the go-to receiver with Elijah Moore now playing for the New York Jets, uh, but with Braylon uh, Sanders and Ontario Drummond, Jonathan Mingo, John Reese Plumley is going to uh, play more receiver, it sounds like. They brought in a couple of transfers, Jalen Knox, Jacob Pearson, brought in some talented guys as well. Uh, through junior college and, and, you know, as true freshman, Jerry and Ely, running back, former five-star guy, is going to get involved in the slot as well as, uh, you know, out of the backfield. They've got no weakness uh, on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to be, you know, I, I think maybe the best offense in the country this year. But defensively, they have got a long way to go. They ranked 110th in defensive team performance, uh, 120th. Uh, or worse against the pass and the run. I mean, they they were bad, and they bring a lot of guys back, and they you know brought in a couple of transfers who are probably going to play uh, significant you know snaps. They also got a little bit better at the end of the season, and they got better when Otis Reese was fully uh, able to play. So maybe you know maybe those numbers from from early on. There's reason to expect that they will get a little bit better statistically, but they've got a long way to go, I think, to, to really uh, you know, be a top 25 type team or a team that could uh, contend in the SEC West. But against you know, Louisville, they are, I think, going to have an opportunity to uh, you know, perform decently well. Malik Cunningham is an exciting quarterback, but he does turn the ball over. Uh, Jalen Mitchell is a running back that's got some people excited. They also have a freshman, Trevion Cooley, who's going to get some snaps, I think. The receiver position is a bit of an unknown. Is the go-to guy going to be Braden Smith or Jordan Watkins? Shai Wirtz, former uh, Georgia Southern quarterback, is in the mix. What role is he going to play? I'm kind of excited to see that. Uh, but, you know, other than Cunningham, there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, real – we know what we're going to get. I think there's promise there, but I, you know, this was a team that ranked 36th in offensive team performance and lost, you know, easily it's, it's three most explosive playmakers in Tutu Atwell, Des Fitzpatrick and Javion Hawkins. So, you know, I think that there's reason to expect this offense might go a little bit 
toward maybe a top 50 unit instead of a top 35 unit, that could give Ole Miss, you know, maybe a, a, an opportunity to come out and have a good showing defensively. And then Louisville on the defensive side of the ball, they were were better statistically than Ole Miss, 73rd <laughs> defensive team performance, 35th against be. the pass. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, against the pass, they actually did decently well, but they are very thin in the secondary. They bring back two starters at corner. Everybody else uh, basically is new. They have one other uh, defensive back who played snaps for Louisville last season. Everybody else is a transfer or a you know incoming freshman or junior college player. So that's a that's a concern. I think that Ole Miss should be you know it, it's hard to be clicking on all cylinders uh, immediately in the first game, but Ole Miss has enough coming back and a solid quarterback and, and great play caller, great system that you think, okay, if anybody's going to be able to do it, they could potentially be there. And Louisville has is, is got some work to do, especially in the secondary. They're experienced enough up front. Uh, the, the defensive line actually only ranks 96th in our talent numbers. Uh, but the front seven, because they got a pretty decent you know, linebacker core, and they do have some experience, two starters return up front, two starters in the uh, linebacker core as well. I, I think they're going to be okay in the front seven, uh, but the secondary is really what, what has me worried. So uh, I think it will be a high-scoring game. I think that there is a good chance that it goes over the 75-and-a-half, even though our numbers are uh, much lower. We can't quite get to double digits. Ole Miss is favored by 10. Our talent numbers give Ole Miss a, about a two-touchdown uh, edge, but we see it more in our official model as a, about an eight-point win. So Ole Miss 38, Louisville 30 is uh, is our prediction, our, our final score prediction. I wouldn't you know, be shocked if, if you add uh, a touchdown to each side and it was 45, 37, something like that. But, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we can't quite get enough points for Ole Miss to fully cover or to get to uh, the over. But I could, I could see it, you know, both of those happening. I, I think Ole Miss is going to be very, very difficult to keep up with, and I'm not sure Louisville quite has, um, you know, the, the the depth on defense, especially in the back end, to to be able to keep up with them. But uh, but our official prediction is 38 to 30. All right. Now there are some games you want a lightning round. Now, I'm not sure what a Nicholas Ian Allen lightning <laughs> round looks like. I don't know that I've actually seen one before. We're going to try it here. So uh, let's just start out. Boise State at UCF. UCF is a five-point favorite. Yeah, so this is actually on our all three agree. It's not, uh, you know, not a very big edge because the numbers get pretty close. Our official projections, UCF minus four and a half. Talent edge is 4.68. And then actually in the PRISM model, we have Boise State winning outright. So our prediction here is very close to uh, what you would expect on this one is 34-30 UCF, but we do have Boise State uh, covering in all three models. Penn State at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a five-point favorite. So a, a you know matchup of two ranked teams in the Big Ten. Thought it was important to at least hit on it. 
Uh, Wisconsin, when we predicted this, was uh, only, I believe, a, a three and a half point favorite, and that has gone up to five. Penn State, you know, what are we going to get? What are, are they going to look like the team in the second half that won so many games in a row and kind of finished with a little bit of momentum? Or are they the team that came out super slow and went, you know, started 0 and 5? Wisconsin similarly was up and down. They were great in uh, the first two games. They, you know, the offense really cratered toward the end of the season. They recaptured a little bit in uh, the bowl game. I think they're very evenly matched. We get different uh, projections on both sides, so our numbers are kind of all over the place here. Penn State, we think, has a talent edge of close to a touchdown. The stats-only model sees it basically even. Our projection, our, our official projected point spread was Wisconsin by about five and a half. So we were on Wisconsin minus four officially, and we're still technically there on, on uh, Wisconsin minus five, but we don't see a, a huge difference in uh, in our number and, and what the odds makers have. Uh, Alabama versus Miami in Atlanta. Bama is a 19 and a half point favorite. Alabama absolutely dominates week one. Historically, I'm not a huge trends guy, uh, but in these type of games, neutral site, week one games, Alabama, I don't think has lost or has, has uh, had an opponent come within two touchdowns uh, in a week one under Nick Saban uh, in, in this type of game. So it's understandable this is a huge number. Our numbers like Miami. We have them as a number two team in the ACC, a top five uh, roster as far as roster strength goes. They certainly have some issues. Offensive line needs to get better. They've been banged up quite a bit in, in fall camp. The running back position, the defensive line, the secondary has some things that they've got to work out. So I understand why Alabama is, is so heavily favored. Our number, uh, after some updates, after some Miami you know injury updates, actually uh, was, was getting closer to the 19 and a half, but we just can't quite get there. This was an all three agree for us at Miami plus 18 and a half. And it's still an all three agree at Miami plus 19 and a half, just too many points. And we think Miami's just too talented to get blown out quite like that, but it would not shock me if, if Alabama does. Uh, Indiana at Iowa, Iowa is a three and a half point favorite. This is kind of the opposite of the Ole Miss Louisville. The uh, over under here is 46 and a half and we just can't get that low. Uh, we like Iowa, our team performance numbers, our coaching numbers, Love Iowa, even though their roster strength numbers are not great. They're in the 80s in most roster strength uh, areas. Indiana, on the other hand, is in the you know 40s and, and better in roster strength. They have really, really uh, closed the gap in the Big Ten East from a roster standpoint. However, you know Iowa, for whatever reason, our, our team performance, our stats model, uh, things like that, love them. And, and we think that they're going to be able to uh, not only win this game, but cover. We've got it 27-21. Uh, and then the next game is a big one, Georgia versus Clemson. Clemson is a three-point favorite. So our projection, and this is probably, what, the game of the week, right? I mean, two playoff contenders, top four, Absolutely. top five type teams. Uh, we don't see much of a difference officially. We've got Clemson winning, but very close. Uh, we have a predicted final score of 30 to 28. It's really closer to 30, 27. Uh, so we, we are technically on Georgia plus three, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's close enough. There's not that much of a difference, but this is one where the stats model has, uh, Clemson favored by close to a touchdown, but the talent model 
as Georgia favored uh, by close to a touchdown. So kind of a wide gap there, a little strange. Uh, but, yeah, 30-28, this is one we're just going to sit back and enjoy watching. LSU at UCLA. UCLA looked great. We didn't really talk about it much in, in the week zero uh, rundown, but they were dominant against Hawaii and absolutely looked like you know the, the more talented team as they are and really proved it. LSU, we expect will be a lot better. And a lot of folks are, are thinking the LSU is going to be in, you know, back into the top 25, uh, back to, you know, number two, number three in the SEC West, that kind of thing. Even before uh, we saw UCLA. So this is not a recency biased uh, opinion or our numbers haven't, you know, changed very much. We haven't included uh, any team performance ratings from last week. We're waiting until all week one to do that. We've had UCLA favored in this game all along. So that's a little bit weird. I, I, I get it. Uh, a lot of folks think that, you know, LSU is the better team. They are the more talented team. Uh, UCLA is not going to have much of a home field advantage you would expect. LSU, there might be more LSU fans there than there will be UCLA fans. Uh, but we think, you know, we think UCLA is at home. It's still a long trip. And uh, they're, you know, a, a solid team. Ran the football incredibly well. Probably not going to be able to run it quite like that against LSU. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson has the ability to play better than he did and, and can still do that against LSU even with – that elite cornerback combo that they've got, but uh, we're yeah, on UCLA. He didn't even have to run at all. No, no, and didn't really, you know, show too much. Throwing had one long pass uh, for a touchdown, but other than that, it was very uh, pedestrian. But uh, I think that that you know, or I guess I hope maybe because we're on UCLA as as one of our five where we see the wrong team favored. We think we've got the wrong team favored. We've got UCLA pulling the upset, thirty four, thirty one. All right. Uh, now, tell tell us about the all three agree. Are there ones that kind of stand out to you? So we've got twelve, and if you're a patron, you've you've seen them all. Uh, usually, we we run down really quick at, at the end. Some of these numbers have changed, so do do take note of that. But we officially lock them in on uh, Tuesday or, or Wednesday when we post these. We mentioned Boise State plus five. We've got USF plus eighteen against NC State. That one, there are two NC State numbers in the 17, so that's very, very close. I don't have a lot of confidence in that one. Old Dominion, we think, can cover 31 against Wake Forest. Uh, they haven't played in a year, of course, but you know, I, I, I don't think they're quite in the same class as UConn, New Mexico State, teams like that. So uh, we've, we've got a, a much tighter spread. We have it about 21. Uh, Michigan State, we have actually favored to beat Northwestern outright, and all three agree on Michigan State plus three. We are on Stanford plus three uh, against Kansas State at a neutral field. Uh, that was plus two when we released it officially. We mentioned Marshall already. We're on Maryland plus three and a half, or, or now it's three against West Virginia. We're on Louisiana Tech plus 23. Uh, Oregon State plus seven. And unfortunately, we're on New Mexico State again, now <laughs> plus 31. Uh, but when we officially released it, it was it was plus 30. So uh, you get at least one more point there. Maybe we just hope that you know, San Diego State uh, just completely runs the ball, you know, the clock down in the second half. I don't know. Uh, maybe they'll win that one 28 to nothing. But uh, one that I really like, actually, is UTSA. When we released it, it was UTSA plus 6.5 against Illinois. Illinois is riding high. 
right? Uh, but UTSA, we think, I think they could actually win this outright. Uh, yeah, we have true. Illinois favored by two, but I, I would, I think I'm going to be tempted to, to put a little on the money line for, for UTSA there. And then wrong team favored, mentioned Michigan State, mentioned UCLA. There are three others that we released officially. Charlotte over Duke. That one might be strange. Duke is a six, six and a half point favorite, has a talent edge of 17. Uh, but Charlotte, not that great. But we think Duke is potentially the worst power five team in the country. Uh, we're on Houston. When we released it, it was plus two. It's now plus one against Texas Tech. Tech uh, technically, that's at a neutral site, although it is in the uh, city of Houston. And then this one has since flipped, but we had uh, South Alabama as the wrong team favored when they were plus one and a half against Southern Miss. South, Ob- South Alabama is now favored in that game by one. So uh, if you did that now, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't count. But when we released it last week, we, we were on South Alabama plus the, the one and a half. So we'll see. We've got 12 opportunities, all three agree, and five wrong teams favored. Those have been our best two categories uh the the last several years and so you know the numbers usually pretty pretty good three of them i i actually uh feel good about i like michigan state plus three i like marshall minus three and i like utsa uh plus the five and a half is there anything worth putting uh on our our game uh have you uh decided you're going to opt in on any of these to uh put some hypothetical dollars on <laughs> so i i you know, we don't do best bets or, or that sort of thing really here. But the, the the games that I actually do bet are the all three agree and the wrong team favored. So what I'm going to do uh, with our, our betting game, we started with 10,000 fake dollars. I now have about 7,500 after uh, <laughs> some futures uh, invested, invested about uh, $750 or, or excuse me, invested about 2,000 in some futures I'm I'm going to put a hundred bucks each on uh, all of the all three agrees and the wrong team favored. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, all si- uh, seventeen because one of them fits in the two. I'm gonna put a hundred bucks on on all of them against uh, the number, and then I'm gonna put a little on the money line for UTSA. Plus five and a half. So I'll, I'll run all those numbers. We'll run it down next week uh, very quickly. Uh, but yeah, we'll, 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 I'll go with, uh, with our numbers. I'll trust it. We'll do uh-huh. 17, 1700 bucks on the all three agree and the wrong team favored. And, uh, and then an extra hundred bucks on UTSA to win outright. I'm going to roll with that UTSA one. I'm going to do 200 on that uh, UTSA plus the five and a half. I'm going to put uh, 300 on BYU to cover the 12 and a half. I like that one a lot. I like that and, too. And then I'm going to, I'm going to put 200 on Bama to cover the 19 and a half. Mm, I, I, okay. I think, going against the all three agree there. I, wow. I, I am. I just a think lot of that, confidence, Scott, a lot of, yeah. a lot of faith you've got in us. Uh, look, uh, Bama is super talented and <laughs> I, I like uh, the, look, the real matchup here to me is going to be, the Bama defensive line against Miami's offensive line. I think that is going to get Miami in some trouble. I think they're going to have some problems scoring specifically early. Maybe they'll come back and do like a backdoor cover, something like that. But I have, I have a lot of confidence in Bama's defensive line, just annihilating 
the Miami offensive line. So I think that's I where it. I'm going to go with that one. So, I get it. but and uh, I am just for for reference. Sorry to cut you off, but I am going to do the current, not when we release it to our patrons. This will be a pod only thing. We'll line, do the yeah. So it's UTSA five and a half, Marshall two and a half. Michigan State plus three, UCLA plus three, all those numbers that, that are current as of uh, Tuesday evening. Yeah, I like it. So, all right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Xavier did not show up. So hopefully uh, everything's all, all right. right with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he, he was traveling a bunch. So we're just assuming that he's jet lagged and tired. So, uh, but uh, we will let you know next week for sure. But uh, follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Tristy, uh, R-I-C-H-E, for the absentee Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.